Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's 2 p.m. in Memphis. Giannato and Jeffrey time. Get off the fence. Live on Memphis's sports station. 92.9 FM ESPN. Welcome to the Giannotto and Jeffrey show. We're coming to you live from Memphis, Tennessee. My name is Jeffrey Wright. You can follow me on Twitter at jwright929 ESPN. Dennis Fuller's producing the program for us. Glad that he is with us. Mark is out today. So on Tell the Truth Tuesday... I've got a list of truths that I think I can read between the lines on the latest Daily Memphian story about perhaps the money and how the money will be distributed from the state of Tennessee to both the FedEx Forum, the Grizzlies, I guess, by proxy for their renovations, also to Simmons Bank Liberty Stadium, the possibility of a soccer stadium built on the fairgrounds, as well as improvements to AutoZone Park. So we'll discuss that in the top of the show. Also, Neil McCready is going to join us here in about 30 minutes. Neil was at all of the festivities at SEC Media Days. Neil also, amateur body language expert guy. And I wanted to ask him who he thought at Media Days had good body language, perhaps maybe telling us who are some of the teams that he believes could be poised to have nice seasons. Also, the war of words between Paul Feinbaum, Lane Kiffin. We'll get into all of that, NIL and more. 305, we'll get into the list. We'll get into the headlines, including the possibility that Jim Harbaugh could serve a four-game suspension to start the season as a result of recruiting violations. I believe Yahoo has been all over that story, so we'll get into that as well, of course, as AAC Media Days and more. We'll do the Football Take Workshop around 3.35. We'll tell your story, and then we will get out of here. So last night, Sam Hardiman of the Daily Memphian. You can hear Sam tomorrow morning, 10.30 right here on 92.9 FM ESPN on the on the Jeff Calkins show. I'm sure he'll have much more detail and much more insight when he joins Jeff tomorrow. But let's start with the story that he posted last night over at the Daily Memphian. Memphis got money for stadiums three months ago. Where do we stand? 
So I think it's important to start with what is the actual news from Sam's story? And I think the, the news is in the opening paragraph. Memphis Mayor Jim Strickland traveled to Indianapolis in early June to look at Gamebridge Fieldhouse, according to public records obtained by the Daily Memphian. The mayor's trip was part of the city's ongoing but still incomplete work on finalized planned, on finalizing planned renovations to FedEx Forum and inking a new long-term lease with the Grizzlies. The city acknowledged on Monday, July 24th, that it is still in discussions with the Grizzlies and the University of Memphis regarding renovations to FedEx Forum and Simmons Bank Liberty Stadium. So let's start right there with our tell the truth. My first tell the truth is the biggest piece of news in the story is that Jim Strickland went to Indianapolis and toured Gainbridge Fieldhouse. For those that are unaware of the link between Gainbridge Fieldhouse and FedEx Forum, the seating bowl at FedEx Forum largely mirrors Gainbridge Fieldhouse. And this is pre-renovation. So Gainbridge has done their renovations. But if you would have looked at Gainbridge, you know, five years ago, the bowl, the seating area in Gainbridge and the seating area in FedEx Forum look remarkably similar. So it's important to note that because one of the other complications right now is when you think about the issues with FedEx Forum, it's not a lot of the issues that you would expect with a building that even though it is approaching 20 years, still not that old. The biggest issue with FedEx Forum was the time period in which it was built. If you look at many of the arenas built in the late 90s throughout the first decade of the 2000s, one of the primary concerns was luxury suites. It largely begins with the Palace at Auburn Hills. So for those that are unaware of the history of the Palace at Auburn Hills, when the Pistons built the Palace, they were one of the first teams that had a remarkable amount of luxury suites, and that amount of revenue made the Palace at Auburn Hills and the Detroit Pistons very, very profitable. So if you look back to the model at the late 90s, the early part of the 2000s, the emphasis was on luxury suites. And one of the selling points at the time of FedEx Forum was not only luxury suites, it was the courtside luxury suites. Another arena that at times mirrored this, but they've also been through renovations, is whatever we're calling the queue now in Cleveland. I believe now it's Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. But same type thing. If you looked at the queue, particularly like during the, the last LeBron run when he was in Cleveland, if you'll notice the, that first string of luxury suites starts at like row 18. Well, the Grizzlies have that as well. What is the, what changed in the last 15 years, give or take, is that corporations decided rather than just renting out these, you know, buying these luxury suites, why don't we just go buy like the best seats in the house and we're not committed to buying the luxury suites and we'll, we'll entertain clients that way. 
and, and hand them out to our people and whatnot. And so you had a decreased demand on luxury suites. The single biggest issue, though, at FedEx Forum is the reality that not quite 50%, but I believe 48%, give or take, maybe 48.7. It's somewhere below 50 and somewhere around 48. So somewhere between 48 and 50% of the seating at FedEx Forum is in the terrace level. And in the stadium renov- or in the stadium business world, those are largely considered to be non-revenue seats. So therein lies the problem for the Memphis Grizzlies. They would like to have more revenue, more revenue seats and fewer non-revenue seats. So essentially, you've created a situation where you pretty much need to flip the seating of FedEx Forum. Even when you take a look at somewhere like Crypto.com, the artist formerly known as Staples Center, even though it is a massive, massive building, if you ever look up to the tippy top, you'll notice that on top of the three decks of luxury suites, their upper deck is not very deep. Whereas the Grizzlies' upper deck, or FedEx Forum's upper deck, is very deep. American Airlines Center, very similar. If you look at the upper deck at the American Airlines Center in Dallas, not as many seats up top. And so the Grizzlies are in a position where when their arena was built, it doesn't fit the business model of today. The biggest issue, though, that I see with the bit of news that we got from Sam's story, which is indeed Jim Strickland went to Indianapolis. He's also, according to Sam, toured Atlanta. Atlanta, also one of the more recent NBA renovations. State Farm Arena, largely, I think, built in 99. So it's kind of all in that same time period. If you're looking at all the issues, it's it's typically buildings that were built somewhere between, you know, 1998 and 2009. The United Center also went through a massive renovation. If you look at their renovations, you'll notice they decreased their upper deck. So the emphasis in the business model now is on having as many seats as possible in revenue-generating areas. Also, I've mentioned it here on the show, but if you want to kind of get a glimpse of What's the idea right now? Look at Fiserv Forum in Milwaukee. If you look at Fiserv, they have this massive lower bowl, a row of suites, and then a relatively small-sized upper deck. So if you're trying to look at what is the model moving forward, that seems to be the model. And even when you think about football stadiums, well, if you look at it now, We're building stadiums smaller than we used to. And there's less emphasis on trying to get as many luxury suites as possible. The New York Yankees ran into the same issue. When they built new Yankee Stadium, they had so much emphasis on field suites and suites that you wound up seeing seeing these 
the best seats in the house, the seats that were always on camera, they would largely be disguised as empty seats. The one issue, though, that I see with the Indianapolis model, if you go and you look at what the Pacers did with their renovations, the interior of the bowl, while looking nicer, doesn't really look all that drastically different. Now, they had tightened some of the lower suites, the courtside suites, I believe, as they're called, and it looked like they had expanded the what we would call the pinnacle level, but originally it was the club level. They had expanded that, and then they tried to shrink the what we would call the terrace level. The biggest problem is what Indiana did doesn't necessarily mesh with the limited information that we have from the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies have been pretty clear with their mission with this reno- with what this renovation is. Their mission is to essentially flip the decks. They want to have much, much more revenue-generating seating. And while Indianapolis definitely had the same thing in mind, my speculation is what Indianapolis did with Gainbridge Fieldhouse is probably less drastic than what they would like to do. So the third tell the truth that I have as we make our way through, I think this moment in time was inevitable. When you consider what the big ask was, the big ask was essentially $350 million in cash up to the discretion of Memphis to divvy up. Because if you'll recall, originally, the big ask was for Simmons Bank Liberty Stadium and for FedEx Forum renovations. They then had to go back and rework the... They had to rework the language of the influx of cash to include, essentially, how Memphis sees fit so that Memphis could build the soccer stadium and include renovations to AutoZone Park. The reason why I say this was inevitable because, and I think I've made it quite clear from the very beginning, and I want to be as, I want to be as clear as possible on this. Anyone that knows me knows that I love stadiums. Love them, love renderings. Like I will get into a YouTube rabbit hole Look at all renderings. Like, I'm fascinated by it. I wish I were fascinated by something that probably generated a little bit more income for me, but nonetheless, we're into what we're into. I always felt like the numbers were not going to add up. And in particular, you have the $350 million of cash from the state, but then you also have, by Sam's calculations, $284 $284 million potentially, of other revenue streams. According to Sam, 
Here's an estimate based on the fiscal notes attached to these funding sources when they passed the General Assembly. Sales tax rebate from sales on NBA merchandise and other Grizzly sales at FedEx Forum would exist for another 28 years and could raise $140 million. Also important to note, could raise. Number two, sales tax rebate from Memphis Tiger Games, concerts, and other events at FedEx Forum would exist for 35 years and could raise $52 million. The car rental fee is expected to raise about $3.4 million a year for an additional 28 years, or about $92 million. I quote Sam because I think this is what really matters the most. All told, the funding would raise about $284 million between now and 2059. Those funding sources would be used to pay down debt issued for the renovations, so the cash raised would also have to pay the interest to the investors that owned the bonds. That means that the estimated $284 million would not be able to pay construction costs at its present value in today's dollars is not what it would be bar- it would be in borrowing power. It would likely have far less than that. So to, to break that down so easily that I can understand it, when you, if you're going to use this future revenue as something to go take out a loan and borrow against, because 2059, by my Pepperdine math, is 36 years away. One thing that I did learn in economics, a dollar today is not worth the same as a dollar tomorrow. It's also not worth the same as a dollar in 2059. So you can't just sit there and say, we're going to go take out a $284 million loan and we'll pay it back in 2059. It's not going to work that way. Obviously, you'll have interest rates, but also the biggest issue is what Sam's pointing out. You're not going to be able to get the $284 million loan. You're going to get something much, much less than that. So to go back to point number three, the reason why I always felt that this was inevitable is I started paying attention to other building projects around the country. Let's take a look at something in state. The University of Tennessee has a two-phase plan for renovating Neyland Stadium. They announced, I believe two weeks ago from Friday, that phase one now cost the exact same as the total amount of the entire project. So phase one and two combined, the cost of phase one equals what the plan cost was for that. I'll ask Neil more about this when he joins us next segment. But Ole Miss had also planned to do something similar to what the Liberty Bowl was planning. I think it's also important to note, if you're looking at the Liberty Bowl renderings, I don't think you're going to get those in their entirety. Perhaps maybe you get one side. But Ole Miss was in a situation where they were going to start phasing renovations and they were going to do one side of their stadium. The west side, I believe, was the side that they were preparing to renovate. It was one of the older sides. Well, pandemic, building costs, everything increases, and Ole Miss ends up putting those plans on hold. 
the larger point is that the reason why I felt that this was inevitable is building costs were going up at a much higher rate than what we've seen with typical inflation. Therefore, especially when you considered that there were four projects on the on the agenda, FedEx Forum, the renovations to Liberty Stadium, the new soccer stadium, and the renovations to AutoZone Park, that $350 million probably is not going to go as far as it was once thought. Is that anyone's fault? No. My understanding is even when the state legislature gave the Titans money, they've essentially given them money for bonds. Memphis was given $350 million cash, a cash infusion of $350 million, no interest loan. But the real problems started to occur when you started looking at, well, what are, what are the plans? And let's start first with the Tigers and with Simmons Bank Liberty Stadium because, well, we've seen those plans. We've seen the renderings. And credit to the University of Memphis, they've at least put a price tag on it. I think it's also important to note that price tag was incredibly vague. I understand when we're dealing with these large numbers of money, when you hear 150 million versus 200 million, we kind of inherently just kind of like, yeah, all right, that's a rounding error. That's not a rounding error. We're not dealing in monopoly money. Like this is money that would have to be used in construction costs. But my serious concern was the fact that we did not get a number from the Grizzlies and for FedEx Forum. To me, it supposes a couple of issues. Perhaps maybe the Grizzlies had a plan A that could be one number. And then they had a, we'd settle for this. However, according to Sam's story and from other conversations that I've had, the city is very frustrated, and the city mainly being the mayor's office, is very frustrated because they cannot get the number from the Grizzlies. Not even in that capacity of, we'll give you this number, we'll give you that number. All of this is to say... If you were looking at the cost of other similar renovations, they all came in pre-pandemic around $400 million. Sam notes in his story that if you just use the rate of inflation from, I believe, the department, let's see, who did Sam quote? The Bureau of Labor Statistics. A dollar in April 2019 has the same purchasing power of a dollar 19. Sam puts it this way. The $412 million renovation in Indianapolis is $490 million today. I would also say that is the most conservative of possible estimates that you could have. If you look at the way everything's being built right now, even on a micro level, nothing 
is coming in under budget. So the reality is you're really looking at a project, depending on how extreme the Grizzlies want to go, you're looking at a project that could be the upwards of $700 million. Now, the fourth truth that I would say on Tell the Truth Tuesday, this is a negotiation. And one thing to keep in mind is that during negotiations, especially when it's a scenario like the scenario that we're in currently, where we're not really a member at the table, we're just the bystanders that are kind of hoping for, I mean, the reality is I think all of us are hoping for all these projects to be done and that everybody's happy, including the soccer stadium, including the renovations of AutoZone Park, as well as the FedEx Forum renovations and the Liberty, the Simmons Bank Liberty Stadium renovations. The problem that I see, though, is that despite this is a negotiation, I don't see anyone in this situation with leverage other than the Memphis Grizzlies. couple of reasons. Number one, let's just say you're someone that is just passionate about Tiger football and that the Grizzlies, like, you're, they don't really affect you one way or the other. You'd rather see them win than lose, but you're passionate about Tiger football. The biggest problem that you have is that what are you going to the negotiating table with? It's not as if the university saying, we've got this $150 million raised, we just need the other $100 million to try and do what we want to do. The school was pretty clear that if they're going to get stadium renovations done, it was going to largely come from state money. I don't see how 901FC has any leverage in this scenario. Yes, 901FC can can leave, but at the same time, you don't have a stadium to begin with. So I, I, I fail to see where the renovations are or where the leverage is. And with the Redbirds, you're just so far down the pecking order, I think you're just hoping to get what you can get. And while it's important to remember that this is indeed a negotiation, I think it's also important to remember not everybody's going to get what they want. And the final truth will be, is everybody going to get a piece? Because the way that I see it right now, if you're the University of Memphis and you're offered $150 million, you should take it and run and do with do the the best job you can with that 150 million because it's entirely possible that those that are making the decisions with the grizzlies they have another another card to play they can wait out the clock if you're a tiger football fan your best hope is that this deal gets done under Mayor Jim Strickland. Because Mayor Jim Strickland is a Tiger football fan. It means something to him. I always talk about the 15,000 Tiger football fans that come hell or high water, you people are the salt of the earth. You're as good of fans, as loyal of fans as I've seen. 
Jim's right there in there with you. But if you get into a situation where the Grizzlies run out the clock and Jim Strickland's no longer mayor, it's entirely likely that the new mayor is not going to have the same passion and the same drive to get this done for Tiger football that Jim Strickland does. All right, when we come back, we'll, of course, talk more about this throughout the day, also get into AAC Media Days. But when we come back, Neil McCready joins the program next. Let's get his thoughts on SEC football. I also want to ask him about the decision that the University of Mississippi made when they chose not to renovate the stadium because, obviously, we're all about why decisions about renovating stadiums are or are not getting done right now. We'll do that next right here on Giannotto and Jeffrey, 92.9 FM, ESPN. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink... What you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Giannotto and Jeffrey broadcast live from the Red River Toyota Studios. Check out Red River Toyota in Wynn, Arkansas. This hour of G&J is brought to you by the Next Generation 10G Network. Only from Xfinity. The Giannotto and Jeffrey Show on 92.9 FM ESPN. Neil McCready is the publisher of RebelGrove.com, part of the Yahoo Sports, I should say team site for Ole Miss, part of the Yahoo Sports Network. Also, see one of his 58 podcasts. Go to the MPW Digital YouTube stream. Subscribe. Thumbs up. Everybody knows the drill. He's on Twitter, at Neil McCready. Neil, the song that Dennis just played, um, I can't remember if you and I had talked about this. We might have talked about it that day. But when Wisconsin returned to the stands, the fans in the stands, it was the Penn State-Wisconsin game. All-time horrible football game to watch. When they started that third quarter, like I was so broken as an individual, I remember like having tears like going down my face. Uh, yeah, first of all, thanks for having me. Second of all, it's 57 podcast. And third, Sorry. yes, that, that scene, what was that? Was that? Uh, it was 21, 21? I think. 
Yeah, that, uh, that I remember that game uh, as someone who watches more Big Ten football than I'd like to admit. But particularly uh, at eleven a.m., you love that eleven a.m. game. I do that, but that scene in particular, uh, something about it, and I, I, I thinking about it now, almost two full years later, it, 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 I get the lump in my throat. But you know, I cried that day. I think it was a reminder of, like, despite all the BS and everything that had been going through, like, it was a reminder that, yeah, college football's got a lot of warts, and some of them are infected. But, like, the point of it is, is, like, at a certain point, it's a gathering place. And I think that was a reminder there of, like, oh, yeah, that's why we like this sport. Oh, yeah, that fall was uh... – it was really cool that fall. I, I think, you know, we'd forgotten because it got taken away from us. We'd become so accustomed to those things. And there was that moment uh, watching the Virginia Tech team take the field for the first time uh, to, to that inner Sandman song or whatever. And, and that was that was so cool. And, you know, um, my daughter Campbell, I guess, that year was maybe both of my girls were, were at Arkansas and, and – uh, Arkansas played Texas A&M that September in, in Arlington and, uh, and Arkansas won. And the girls, I was at Carson's, my son's soccer practice, soccer tournament down in Jackson. And my, my girls sent me video of them celebrating in the stands and, and, and I got emotional. It wasn't because Arkansas won a game. It, It was just, I was so happy for kids like them that they got to be college kids again. Right. And go, go to the game and get dressed up and cheer for their team and all that stuff. And it was just cool. And yeah, no, I mean, um, I, I, I haven't, I'm, I think I'm one of the rare ones here. I, I, I have, I told you this earlier today. I have people sometimes say, why can't you let it go? Why can't you get over it? And I'm, Cause I'm still kind of mad about it, but, but honestly, as the fall rolls around and those memories of that stuff kind of come back, I, I catch myself genu- genuinely being just happy for a whole lot of people that, that this is something that they love, you know, that, and they're going to get it back. And there's a lot of traditions and stuff that I think we, we always did. And we probably are about to start taking for granted again, but that was, that was really cool. That moment. And maybe if you told me to single one out, it might be that moment in, in uh, Wisconsin. I think the SEC and the big 10, I, I think I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I think they're going to be fine. Would you, would you agree with that? Yes. Um, I, I think they are the power two. Um, I think this is the last season coming up where there's even a semblance of, of, a, of a shred of an argument against that. Then starting next fall in the fall of 24, that there won't be an argument. They'll be the power two. They will run college sports, uh, not, not just college football, but college sports and everybody else will be um, fighting to to figure out their place in the landscape and then along those lines the SEC and the and the Big 10 I think starting in 2024 they uh they get to figure out what their what their future is I mean it's going to be a position of power but it's going to be a matter of figuring out what their shape is and what what that landscape looks like with a the the big TV contracts and with the 12 team playoffs and what the money looks like what the TV ratings look like and I think Man, I think there's going to be so much data gathered in 2024 that leads to decisions that get made starting in the very near future after that. So I bring all that up to say, obviously Memphis has found itself on the outside looking in uh, of all of realignment. Mm -hmm. And I think you can make the case, and I think it's entirely reasonable, that you're weathering the rest of your fan bases down to – 
what does this even matter? And I think that that's a, a perfectly reasonable case. I guess the question that I have is, is it too drastic? Because when you think about, like, what we're talking about, it's still only a handful of teams that can win a national championship. Like, the, the, the nature of the sport is not changing. Is it possible that it's being too dramatic because in the end, like, people want to go for an event and they want to have community and they want to celebrate? Because I think that's kind of the struggle that I've had, and I don't really have a great answer. No, I'm the same way, you know, because I do a daily podcast that's basically about college sports, and and sometimes, you know, I'm not passionate about. When I say passionate about it, I'm not emotionally attached to outcomes, and so I don't. I view it from a more pragmatic standpoint. And sometimes I think, you know, if I were a fan of a team that didn't have a chance, would I even care anymore? Like, would I, if, you know, it'd be like if, if I were a fan of the Kansas City Royals right now, would I, would I care? Would I keep up? Would I watch? You can say the St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah, but the Cardinals are typically good. This is a one-off, or, or you know, hopefully for my sake, it's a 10-off, but mm-hmm. it's, probably, it's probably a one-off. Um, but you know what I mean. I mean, if, you're a, yes. if, if, if you go into a season, you're a Royals fan, and the Royals have no chance, do you, do you keep up? Do you even bother? And then if you don't care for two or three years, do you ever care again? I mean, I always think it's that way with college sports, and then people remind me that it's different, you know, that people love their alma mater, they, they met their wife or husband there, or they met all their friends there, and this was the, the best four years of their lives or whatnot. They had a great college experience, and, and that they still come back because the, the bonds that tie them to that, to that team or that school go far deeper than wins and losses. And then – I don't know what it looks like. I mean, again, this is kind of the last year of what we've had for a long time. And then you go in the next season and everything, if you're a, if you're at an SEC program or a Big Ten program, everything is going to be about making the 12-team playoff. Everything. And so as long as you are still in the theoretical mix for the 12-team playoff, every game is going to feel like do or die until you're not. And then I don't know that – the games will matter as much. And then do people still come? Do people still go, Hey, well, we got to get to six wins so we can get to the Liberty bowl or, 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 or what? I don't, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know if it will be much more passionate at the top and much more dispassionate at the bottom, or if it'll just be the same, but people teams will be chasing different goals. I mean, you think about the season coming up, like if you're, I'll use Ole Miss, for example, let's say Ole Miss, it has, has one loss at the halfway mark. All right. They're they're in the playoff mix. Every game's massive. But once you get to a second loss, you're probably done. You're probably not making the playoff. Well, if it's a 12 team playoff and you have set your 7 and 2, you can still talk yourself as a fan into hey, if we went out, no, we're not going to win the, the the league. We're not going to play for the league title, but if we went out, we've got a shot at that 11 seed, that 12 seed. You can talk yourself into that. So those November games are still huge. You know, you probably have to get three losses before you could probably count yourself out. And maybe even then you could talk yourself into, hey, we still have an outside shot at the 12 if this happens and this happens yeah. and this happens. And so you're pretty dialed in. But, you know, you get – you're four and three. You're not going to the, you're not going to the tournament. Do you, do you care about bowls anymore? I don't, I don't know. I don't, I, don't I, yeah, I think you'd have to ask people who – 
are more emotionally attached to it. My fear is that it will all be about playoff contention. And once you realize you're not in playoff contention, you kind of move on to something else. Talking with Neil McCready. You can follow him on Twitter at Neil McCready or follow him on X. I don't know what we're calling it. I don't really care. Um, <laughs> I, I don't have strong Elon takes, uh, unlike it, it appears the rest of the website. I wanted to ask you this because locally right now, uh, Neil, I know you find this hard to believe. Um, the state granted the city of Memphis $350 million cash, and now it feels like uh, they're fighting over the money. And so the reason I wanted to ask you this is, how was it two years ago? When did Ole Miss announce that they were going to renovate the west side of the stadium? Uh, it was just before COVID, wasn't it? It was like 2019, early 2020, and then COVID hit and the price of everything skyrocketed. And frankly, NIL became a thing. And they had to sort of reevaluate what it is they were doing. And they sort of put that on, on, on hold. They went forward with the renovation of the Manning Center. And then, for being real, they started trying to pour money into NIL funds so that they could buy players. Well, I mean, the reason why I bring it up is I know Tennessee, they had a two-phase renovation of Neyland. And now phase one costs the same as phase two. Is is there a moment in time when the building costs come down? Or is this just like – it's always the, the argument that I, I hate when people are saying, well, like, inflation's coming down, inflation's coming down, and I just want to scream from the rooftops. It's because the price is settling. Like, we've just gotten used to – we go to Chick-fil-A and it's 15 bucks now. It's not $8 – you know what I mean? The, the price is settled and – whatnot and so to me like that's a big question is it ever going to be back to where it's reasonable and feasible to do these types of renovations and I also understand you know for schools like Ole Miss like the stadium isn't really what the head coach wants the head coach wants more NIL money and uh, that that to me is a fascinating debate because I assume the Thunder are going to be in this situation where I know that there's been talks of either a new arena renovated uh, Chesapeake energy center, whatever it is now. Like, I do think this is something fascinating moving forward because we see it more in professional sports where owners want new arenas and whatnot. And in college, it's just so different now because everyone's kind of like, we'd rather have money for, to go get players. Well, so there's a lot there. So at the college level, when the people are asking the fans, essentially, hey, fill up the arena, fill up the, fill up the stadium, buy season tickets, pay the hotel prices that you pay, pay the price that it takes to feed your family, the gas and all that stuff. Oh, and uh, also we need NIL money to buy the players. We need you to do that. Oh, and we need to build uh, $100, $100 million renovation to the, the, the football stadium. That is a lot to put on fans. Uh, and so I think you have to make choices about what your priorities are and at most places, it's going to be about to get the players, I think, and about fill up the stadium and, and, hey, we'll figure out a way to renovate this thing on down the road, which is a little dangerous. At the pro level, obviously, you're not asking fans to pay the players' salaries. The TV agreements and all that does that, and you have a collective bargaining. So the reason that I always push back when college coaches say that college sports are pro sports, because they're not, totally different, completely different. Um, pro sports have a much more feasible and manageable model than, than, than the current college landscape. But like you mentioned, Oklahoma City, 
I mean, they've hit a point where, you know, they brought the NBA to Oklahoma City and it's worked. And now to keep it, they're going to have to build a new arena. And I, I think you'll see that happen. But they're trying to come up with a way to do that without um, asking too much of the citizenry in terms of, of tax hikes because that's not it's not particularly a favorable uh, ask these days, given the economy, to go, oh, hey, w- can we raise taxes to uh, build a, a better arena for basketball players who might make $60 million a year? That, that's, that's not exactly palatable. But on the flip side, you have no choice. If it's, you the cost of, yeah, it's the cost of doing business. It's the cost of business. And if you're uh, in a market like OKC or Memphis or anywhere else and you let your arena get to a place where it's not um, palatable, it's not, it, it's not sufficient – uh, they'll leave. They've proven that. Uh, I mean, look, Memphis used to be in Vancouver. Oklahoma City used to be in Seattle. I mean, they, if they leave once, they'll, they're capable of leaving again. So you have no choice but to do it. And besides, given the the Thunder's core, I mean, come on. I mean, they, they're going to want to build a palace for those guys. Well, I mean, I think they do here too. But it's just like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's, you know, originally three hundred million dollars. You know, you look at State Farm. I think that was like a $200 million renovation, and essentially they got a new arena with the same exterior. You look at now, it's like, eh, it's not really getting that anymore. You know what uh, I mean? But, but here's the deal. You have no choice. And, and, and in a city like that, I mean, the, 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 pers- the possible loss of the Thunder, for example, to Oklahoma City is, is – I don't even know how you'd put a number on that. The loss of the Grizzlies, what, what that would mean – to the soul of the city, I mean, to to tourism, to restaurants, to all of that across the board. I mean, what that would mean is over the course of years is probably incalculable. You have no choice but to figure out a way to do it. And you have to hope that, that ownership puts in enough of their own capital that um, it's a little easier to hit yes at the ballot box. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's tough. We're talking with Neil McCrady. Uh, you were at SEC Media Day, so there's two things I wanted to get to you. Uh, your your former uh, real co-workers in Birmingham, you and Paul Feinbaum. Yeah, we were co-workers in uh, in both Birmingham and technically Mobile. He wrote for the Mobile Register when I was. I guess I was still on the Auburn beat, or maybe I had become the SEC beat writer at the time, um, back in my prehistoric media days. But yeah, we were colleagues twice. So, what are him, he and Lane jarring about? Well, so Lane did his thing at media days about basically gave a state of the union about college football and and, and called it a disaster. Which it felt like he gave I mean, the Saban speech, by the way. Like Saban felt tame, you know. It felt like Lane was taking up the like I'm going to make this like the agenda setter. Yeah, and, and you know Lane, I think had listened to three days full of coaches, sort of uh, avoid the topic, and it's something that he likes to talk about. He he has strong opinions about it. I mean, it, I've covered him now for three plus years, and, and this conversation is one that he's had many times, and he did that with the assembled media and it was something new and it was, uh, they, they, they jumped on it. And I don't know why Paul kind of attacked him. Paul said that Lane was a hypocrite to criticize a system in which Lane makes $9 million a year and a system in which he 
at the very minimum, flirted with the Auburn job at the tail end of last season. And, I mean, both of them have points, right? But today, Lane used the words of uh, Charlie Baker, the president of the NCAA, as sort of a cudgel against Paul, pointing out that, hey, he's pointing out that this current system doesn't work either. And Look, Lane's right. The, the system's broken. It is. It's the first time he's used the word disaster. I don't, I don't really push back against that word. I, I don't think it's sustainable. I've heard that from multiple people at multiple places. Um, I, I've talked to someone at the conference level who they're, they're just, just remaining hopeful that Congress steps in, which I think is naive, but they're, they're hoping that Congress steps in and sort of legislates this and gets it to a place where it's, uh, it's stable and steady and you can start to plan instead of having the conversation that we just had about, okay, well, where do we put our money and what if we need to do everything? Can we still buy players? And, you know, can players still transfer after one year and all of those things that make the sport potentially not all that attractive to its fan base, which would become a problem. Um, but for whatever reason, Paul and, and, and Lane has turned it into a, a little bit of a war of words. I think for both of them, it's brand building though. It's a little bit like professional wrestling. Uh, I don't think Paul or Lane's losing sleep over this quote feud, but they're both, they both make good points. Yeah. This isn't the first time they've done that. All right. I want to get to the real nitty gritty. So you were at media days and Mm -hmm. I had mentioned to you earlier that for something that has become increasingly, uh, not really worth my time. This one felt from the outside as insignificant maybe as ever, ever, and I'm not really sure what the significance of it was, but you kind of disagreed with it. Why, why did you disagree? Yeah, I don't know. I thought it was more interesting. I thought there was some, there was some moments where I, maybe this is me just kind of judging some body language. You were there. Was, so yeah, I was just kind of watching people and, and uh, listening to people and, you know, there were, I went into it with some, uh, I guess, ideas about what my opinions were about certain teams and I actually walked away from media days. I normally would agree with you that it's normally sort of a useless exercise other than just sort of some free content and a, a break in the middle of July. But, you know, I walked away from it thinking, oh, Nick Saban's a little more confident about his team than I thought he would be. Uh, a little little more uh, almost almost eager to get to it than, than maybe he even normally is, which would scare me if I'm anybody else in the SEC West. Um, I've had people tell me that, you know, Jimbo Fisher's just playing coy about this play-calling thing, and I walked away from that going, nope, he's not going to be able to do it. He's not going to be able to get out of Bobby Petrino's way. They're going to have the same issues. Should, um, should also be noted, Neil, you have known Jimbo since 97? Yeah, 90, 97, 98, 98, 98, my first year on the Auburn beat. He was the quarterback's coach at Auburn, the year that Terry Bowden quit in the middle of the year. Um, so I've known Jimbo for a long time, and Jimbo has a, uh, like a lot of coaches, I don't mean this in a negative way, he has a big ego and believes that he's very good at what he does. And I just don't know that he ultimately, when the proverbial bullets start to fly, I just don't know that he's going to really take a step back and go, hey, Bobby, it's, it's yours. I just don't think that's in him. And I don't think that's Petrino either. I don't think Petrino's the guy that's going to say, hey, you know, yeah, you're right. You, you come on in and you take over my offense here and I'll take a step to the, to the right. I, I just don't buy that. I, I think 
So I think there's a real chance there's a clash there. And, and that's if, if that's the case, Texas A&M's got a chance to be a train wreck. Uh, thought about that. I thought watching body language, I think Josh Heupel feels pretty good about his team. Um, there, there were there were two or three others, that, and then there were a couple, and I won't I won't express it because if I'm wrong, I'll, I'll never hear the end of it. But there were a couple of coaches that I thought were sort of couching potential disappointment, but maybe I'm completely wrong. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned how Saban feels because I think you're somewhat responsible for this, but I've I talked myself into LSU and. Primarily, I, I basically just talked myself into LSU because I think Jaden Daniels at the college level is a pretty darn good quarterback. Yeah, and I've seen Tyler Buckner play, and if that who is if that's who Alabama is going to go with, like I have legitimately serious concerns. But then there's also like the 15 years of data that suggests when you doubt Nick Saban, you're an idiot, and so I can't get that out of my head. What was Brian Kelly's body language like? Oh, really strong. I mean, he made the comment that, you know, he knows who they're chasing, that they're not there yet, but they're, they're, if they keep recruiting the way that they're recruiting, they're going to get there, which told me, hey, not only is he building a really good team, he's building a powerhouse. And it stands to, it stands to be repeated that, you know, the last three coaches at LSU won championships. And two of and, them are morons. Yes. And, and, you know, one of them's Nick Saban. Yes. Les Miles won a title there. Ed Orgeron won a title there. Ed Orgeron assembled what might be the very best college football team ever there. And you, if, if they can do it, believe me, Brian Kelly can. And there's this confidence in him that um, they're going to get there. They don't have the depth yet. But look, if I always talk about the college football gods because it's kind of free podcasting. If the, if the college football gods dropped into my living room today and said, hey, LSU gets through the season – remarkably healthy. I'd go, oh, I think they might win the whole thing. Now, college football teams a lot of times don't get their seasons remarkably healthy and depth issues become, you know, fatal flaws. But their front 44, their first and, first and second teams, they're as talented as anybody in the country, if not more so. They've, they've got dudes on defense. I mean, everybody talks about Harold Perkins, and he was a great player last year, probably the best defensive player in the league, not named Will Anderson. He wasn't the best player on LSU's defense. Mason Smith got hurt in series number. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app.